Cannabloggers Corner is brought to you by Better Homes with Cannabis. Yanni Amaya, the hazy lioness, has taken her cannabis photography to another level by using it in a stylish home decor design that would look fabulous in any home. This isn't a Marley poster in your dorm room, dude. Better Homes with Cannabis is tasteful home decor with a cannabis theme. Look for them at betterhomeswithcannabis.com. The Cannamom Gang is an all-inclusive, mom-exclusive group of women who choose cannabis over alcohol for their cul-de-sac club. If you're a mom or know one who's looking for other moms to chill and smoke with, you can find them on Instagram at Cannamom Gang. The only thing they'll try to sell you is inclusion. Cannabloggers Corner. Always the good stuff. The following program is intended for mature audiences. The popcorn you're eating has been pissed in. Film at 11. Good evening. We have a big show for you tonight. Probably on the side of us. Hope the kids seem to like it. Welcome to Fantasy Island. You want to get high? All right. What's up, my sexy cannabloggers? Welcome back to another episode of Cannabloggers Corner. As always, I am your humble host, Andy the Cannablogger. And this week, I am hanging out with Joey Espinoza from CannabisPermits.com. Now, Anyone who's ever started a small business knows that it's not easy at all. Uh, there's always, especially, you know, with just starting a business in general, you've got to fill out so many forms. There's always red tape, bureaucracy, etc. And it's even harder to start a cannabis business because of all the different cannabis regulations that are in place in different locations. It's a veritable nightmare out there unless you're hyper-focused and willing to dive down some insanely bureaucratic rabbit holes. But Joey and his team are there to help and they navigate the complex maze of government compliance and they are just, they provide a phenomenal service and in my opinion, it's just invaluable. You're going to hear us exchange some insights and opinions on the state of the cannabis industry here in California, as well as across the United States in general. Um, I really, really enjoyed having Joey in the corner, talking with him, getting his insights, getting his opinions, and you know, just basically bouncing off I ideas with him. And uh, I really think you're going to enjoy our conversation and everything that we talked about. So please, uh, by all means, uh, sit back relax, and enjoy my conversation with Joey Espinoza. What a boy really craves is the unconditional approval of a government agency. And since the value of the train is less than $10,000, there's no additional gift tax. Check me. I had all this pent-up snitch energy, so I reported him hard. All right, I am here with Joey Espinoza this week. How you doing, Joey? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, now, why I have you on the show, I'm really, really stoked for is uh, you're really involved with cannabis licensing, correct? That's right. It's it's basically what I eat, sleep, and breathe every day. <laughs> and and let's be honest, it's you call it complex, which I think is. Uh, a massive understatement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anytime you have to have the government heavily involved, it's, it's beyond complex, I guess. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've been involved, you know, I've been involved with the government. I was, um, I was in the Navy and working for government contracting. I've worked with government all, Oh geez, for 30 some odd years now. And it, nothing's ever easy. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So now you've got a website called CannabisPermits.com. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you do there. Yeah. So basically what we do is we work in California with uh, different cannabis businesses or people who want to open a cannabis business. We help them with all the aspects of the licensing that are involved in that. Uh, typically, there's uh, some sort of a land use permit that people have to get for a particular property they want to operate on. Um, and then they're going to apply for some sort of a business permit with their local city or county, and then they're going to need a state license. So we basically help you go through that entire process, uh, assist you the entire way to make sure that you're doing everything you're supposed to and making sure these applications are getting approved. And then on the flip side, if you're already operational, 
we have a lot of clients where we do a lot of ongoing compliance, uh, you know, advising them, working with them on a daily basis, whether it's their track and trace system, making sure they're following the rules uh, with the metric system, whether it's applying for new licenses, modifying their diagrams, really when it comes to compliance, uh, again, when it, when we're talking about the government and how, how complicated they make it, compliance kind of applies to every aspect of the business. Almost everything you want to do, there's going to be some sort of a compliance, you know, thing to consider. So we kind of do all those things that have to do with compliance. And yeah, compliance is definitely key because you don't just, <laughs> the government doesn't just stamp you, say you're compliant and, oh, you're blessed forever. You have to, right. you have to renew your compliance every so often, depending on what you're applying for, correct? Yeah. So in, in California, basically, no matter what you're applying for, you have to renew your state license at least once a year. Most cities and counties have uh, a similar process where you have to renew your local permit with them at least once a year. Um, when it comes to the land entitlement things, usually that's not something that gets renewed every year. Um, usually that's something that kind of stays with the property. Uh, so that luckily isn't something you have to constantly go back on, but you do have to renew these every year. And and the thing is that it, it trickles down because uh, you're not just working with one department, right? You have the state then you have multiple departments in the state that you have to work with and deal with. You have the county itself, the cannabis department, you have all the other departments you have to deal with. So it ends up being something where you just, you think compliance and you think it's simple and you start to realize I, I have to report to all these different people, all these different agencies. I have to pay all these different fees. And so it's, it, it is a complex part of the business and, and something you have to keep up with on a regular basis. Right. You have to keep track with it, especially as a, as a business owner, even a non-cannabis business owner. There are so many licenses right. and regulation and compliances to keep up. Then when you throw in a cannabis business, then you've got even more on top of that because Schedule One drug, federally, still not federally legal. But if you live in a legal state like California, you've got the state laws that you have to comply with. And like you said, the local laws, which is every locality the same? No, they're of not. Of course not. Cause that would be <laughs> too easy. Wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, especially somewhere as massive as California, we have 58 different counties in this state. And I want to say 492 cities, I believe something like that. So, you know, that's a lot of different, different things to deal with. Now, there are certain things that are going to be very similar across different cities and counties, uh, but every city and county does have slightly different rules. You know, the zoning districts of where they allow certain businesses are different. Uh, maybe setbacks that they have are different. Maybe they don't want dispensaries to be the state minimum of 600 feet away from a school. Maybe they want it to be a thousand feet. Uh, there's actually a city that I live in, actually the city of Salinas. Um, they started out with very restrictive rules. And they said that you couldn't be open on Sundays because that might offend somebody that's going to church. They said that you had to be at least a thousand feet away from not just a school, but also any place that sells alcohol. So those are, are where cities can kind of get a little bit specific and, and it makes it even more complicated, but also something that someone needs to consider if they're wanting to open a business, right? Is, is learning these things before you go invest a ton of money can ultimately save you a lot of money. So you got to definitely look into every city and county you want to work with because they're all going to be very different. They're all going to be very different. They have their own regulations and local regulations, for lack of a better term, Trump state and federal, correct? Um, to a degree. I mean, so in California, they are very pro local control. Um, but what that basically means is you have your federal laws, you have your state laws, the locality is not allowed to make a federal or state law uh, more lenient, but they can make it more restrictive. Right. And so that's usually where they come in. They're, they're, they're making things more restrictive than maybe what the state even wants. For example, the setbacks, right? If the state says 600 feet is the minimum, you have cities like Salinas coming in and say, no, I want a thousand feet. But exactly. Salinas couldn't come in and say, you know, a hundred feet or 200 feet, for example. And, and yeah, like the state and federal guidelines are the bare minimum. The local, right. the local guidelines are likely to be more restrictive because that's, that's what they can control. That's, that's their area. They can, it's their town. They can do whatever they want. Um, right. National city locally here in San Diego for a long time was 
hell no, we don't want it, not going to happen. Uh, recently, they've decided that they are not only going to look into opening dispensaries, but consumption lounges, which for the longest time, San Diego has been hell no, not in my town. But now localities like National City are saying, well, we're not technically city of San Diego, so we can do our own thing. We can look into consumption lounges as being something good for the local economy, bringing people in. Um, personally, I would love to see the city of San Diego itself um, get more involved with cannabis licensing and cannabis industry and cannabis businesses because there's there's a lot of potential down here in San Diego. We've got a thriving cannabis industry down here, and I think that there's a lot more potential there that can be tapped. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think especially in a lot of areas that did allow for cannabis. So, so when this all passed and became, you know, legal in California, um, that local control component that we're talking about allowed a lot of cities and counties to actually ban any cannabis businesses in their city or county. So you had a lot of places that maybe already had a ban. You had a lot of places that maybe already had some sort of regulation to it. And then you had some other places that were in between that actually never really thought about it. And they never had anything officially on the books that, that didn't allow it. And so my point is, you know, now that we've gotten this far, we know who allows it and you open a dispensary. I feel like the next stage of that is the consumption lounge. That's kind of like where the government is starting to get comfortable with this. They're starting to learn what a dispensary is. And that's the unique thing about cannabis is I think that this market that we are starting with is so heavily regulated that we're going to slowly actually peel away regulations, kind of as we get closer to the truth, closer to how this actually should be regulated. So a consumption lounge is, is a huge next step, and it, it makes perfect sense. It, it makes sense for the business. It makes sense for the, the the government. Like you said, they're going to get more tax dollars out of that because you know they're going to want a piece of every sale that happens. So I'm, I'm happy to see that, and it's going to be exciting to see more and more places open up with consumption lounges. That, that will help us go even the next level, right, of, of licensing and realizing it's not that big of a deal. Also in, in San Diego, I think the county itself, right? Any anywhere yes. that's in an unincorporated area, they've begun a process to create a system and have a regulatory framework to allow people to apply. So they're they're working on it. I believe their timeline is is between twenty twenty two and twenty twenty four, they said, to kind of be done with that. So it's it's good to hear that San Diego is is starting to make better moves. I, I completely agree. Uh one of my favorite dispensaries out here that was in unincorporated uh county land uh is called Outco. Um used to be Outliers Collective, now they shortened it to Outco. Uh they just recently went recreational because for the longest time uh the county was only allowing medicinal on unincorporated land. Like you said, they've been changing the regulations, kind of peeling them back a little bit, and now they said, "Okay, yeah, we'll 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 see what recreational does for us. And now Outco is still out there. They're thriving. They're doing well. Um, we've got some other dispensaries that, uh, that are doing pretty well. I know they've, they've got some good plans going. There's something going on this weekend for THCSD. I'm, I'm repping mankind right now. We, we are blessed right here in San Diego with some really, really great dispensaries. I mean, San Diego has always been a hotspot. I, I have friends and business partners that uh, former business partners that um, ran delivery services down there, you know, before it was legal, before you were allowed to do it. I would say when it was more gray area, right. More like the prop two fifteen days. Okay. Um, and they always did really well in San Diego. I, I, my, I guess my point is like San Diego, San Diego has always been a great spot to find weed. There's always a ton of it around. You know, I can't disagree with that. You are right. Um, in fact, I don't know if you listened to my last episode with the OG Kush Babes. Their event down here in San Diego was phenomenal. I had a blast. And it wasn't like totally downtown San Diego, but it was close. It was a lot closer than events have been in the past. So I think that now, especially having that successful event, no cops came, no media, you know, no negative media, I should say. You know, you didn't have... Yeah. Uh, um, gosh, what's his name? Um, that jerk from KUSI that that's always bugging people. <laughs> Turco, the fucking Turco files. You know, you don't have him looking over your shoulder going, that ain't right. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, just as long as we can maintain this momentum, I, I, I completely agree. I think San Diego is going to start opening up. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a matter of time, especially once. So the, the interesting thing is, like I said, a lot of people shut the door on it. A lot of cities and counties said, no way you have what they call NIMBYs, right? Not my backyard kind yep. of mentalities. And um, what's funny about that is when COVID happened in 2020, um, I feel like a lot of cities and counties actually started considering it more. And some of them probably opened up largely because of COVID because a lot of places were losing out on taxes that they normally depend on, right? Like yep. maybe a, you have a, a tourism tax, for example, and COVID totally shut that down. So they had to start getting creative to think of other ways to bring in revenue and cannabis started to become more of a, of an option. So I think that helped the industry and helped open up more access for folks. Um, but we still have a ways to go. We still have a yeah. majority of the cities and counties that do not allow it. And, and that really creates a problem for the industry to grow and it creates this uh, system where we're growing way more than we can ever produce. And I don't, I don't know that we're ever going to solve that problem until we allow legal exporting. Um, but the fact that you have all these cultivators, I mean, you can see the numbers. You go look up how many cultivation licenses there are compared to retail outlets. It's laughable. Um, so the state, I think, really needs to figure out how they can encourage these cities and counties to to open up more to help fix that. Yeah, I completely agree. And one of the things that's interesting that I, I saw here in California and that I've also noticed happening in New York is that when here in California, when Prop 64 passed and cannabis became legal, the cops really, they cracked down on the Prop 215 um, dispensaries. Uh, we, we had the sessions down here, but the gray area, like you were talking about the delivery types, that um, all of a sudden now we're under massive, massive scrutiny. And I see it happening in New York, too. Um, what do you think? How do you think that plays into the whole uh, legalization? You know, do you see a lot of um, a lot of the Prop 215 gray area markets having a harder time transitioning to Prop 64? Uh, I think I think the answer is is yes. Usually, yes. I think there are some people that were able to do it pretty successfully. Not to say that it was easy for them, but they they have pulled it off. I, for example, I know. Uh, a family who started in Prop 215, typical story, right? Started growing in the backyard, starting getting better at it, started adding how many plants they were working with. And, and, you know, so went from that beginning stage to then running, you know, a massive greenhouse operation here in Monterey County that most people would say, oh, that must be a corporate farm. But they really actually went from Prop 215 and, and made it that far. So some people did survive and it did benefit some people uh, a lot to have the opportunity to go that big, to, to take it to the next level. Um, but a lot of people did fall apart, um, especially I want to say in the extraction scene. I feel like for a long time, we had a lot of extractors that were making a, a really good name for themselves. They had brands that were really popular that people knew about. Um, and when it when it became time to legalize, a lot of them kind of fell off. Um, and I think there's there's multiple reasons for that. It's, it's one, the regs, the barrier to entry. Um, but also, I think sometimes when you're operating in that gray market and this opportunity comes to kind of go into this this legal market, it's hard for people to be willing to give up ownership. Uh, it's hard for people to to take in investment dollars. Um, and if you can't put the right team together and you can't get the money together, you're, you're going to fall apart. So I almost want to say some of it's a little bit of ego. Some of these guys, I think, had a little too much bravado, a little too much ego and didn't want to you know, do what it took to get to that next stage. And that's okay if they didn't want to, but I feel like a part of them wanted to, but they wanted it to be done their way. And, and it just doesn't always work that way. So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of a two part answer, you know, it, it kind of did and didn't. Yeah. And, and like you said, there's numbers of reasons why um, some of it could have been ego. Some of it could have been, like you said, financial, they just couldn't raise the capital because God, it is so hard to invest in cannabis. It really <laughs> is. Nowadays, especially. Yeah. And it it has to be all cash because hardly anybody's going to take or going to take banking from uh, cannabis. It's such it's so risky. And Congress does not seem to want to pass the Safe Banking Act for whatever reason. You know, what do you think is behind that? I mean, so I will say that I think banking has definitely gotten uh, a lot better than it used to. I think over the past five years, we've seen a lot more solutions than we used to have. There are 
there are more like credit unions opening up and there are more options for the clients I work with. Uh, even actually in my city, uh, a local city, you know, small community bank started to take it on. So that's good. But I'm not saying the problem has been fixed at all. And I, I do think that Congress needs to do something to make it easier uh, because the other aspect of it is not even just getting a bank account. It's actually how are you taxing me and how are you treating my business? Right. And the IRS has something called 280E that actually prevents most cannabis business from from having the ability to write off certain things in their business like any other business would be allowed to, which ultimately kind of correlates to, you know, a huge increase in the income tax that they have to pay every year, which just adds to all these complications we're talking about to be able to invest in it, to be able to operate in it. So I I, I hope that with things like the Safe Baking Act, that that's getting us in that better direction where the IRS starts to treat it better. Um, I'm not saying the Safe Baking Act will completely solve the IRS issue. I know that may be a Schedule One issue that that needs to happen as well. But we just need more significant progress from Washington that we don't get. All we get, I feel like, is maybe two or three times a year, some sort of bill comes along that sounds promising, and then nothing happens. It ends up dying eventually. Yeah, and we just kind of always get these clickbait headlines two or three times a year. Of, oh, maybe it's going to happen. Never mind. Maybe it's going to happen. Never mind. They're so, dangling that carrot, you know. <laughs> yeah, they're like, "Hey, we're talking about it," and it's like, "That's cool," but no one's doing anything about it apparently. So yeah. we'll see. I mean, but banking banking is is an issue, and it makes it difficult. I have some clients that have bank accounts. I have some that don't. Um, I have some that have, you know, recently our county was get they got grant money from the state basically and they were giving back some money to operators who had spent money on uh the local requirements they needed for the property maybe you needed to put in fire sprinklers maybe you need to sit up uh, a drinkable water system whatever the case may be and they reimbursed up to ten thousand dollars of that that's great. which was cool and helpful however the question becomes what about the people without a bank account yeah, because they have a rule where they can only write the check to the actual bake the the business name, um, and so it just becomes difficult, you know, when you when you don't have an easily accessible bank account <laughs> and you're getting this money as a check. Um, so that's another reason that the banking thing needs to be figured out for sure. And, and let's go into. Uh that IRS rule 280E for a second. Um, for people who may not know, this is the rule that allows businesses to deduct their expenses from their taxes. So like my side hustle is my podcast. Um, if I want to deduct my business expenses, like I got the receipt for my podcast equipment, then yeah, I can deduct it from my income taxes because it's media. It's not a cannabis business. It's just media and it's legal. I can do that. My wife has some side businesses. She do, uh, She's a reseller for antique glass, and she also sells Color Street uh, nail strips. So that's legal businesses. She keeps her receipts, deducts the taxes. We get that money back. All the money we, we spend on paper clips, staples, office supplies, stuff like that. Any business that spends money on that, they get that money back except for a cannabis business. So the staples, the pens, the paper, everything, any cannabis business cannot get that money back because the IRS says, uh, no, you're a cannabis business. You don't get that. So all this revenue that other businesses have coming in, cannabis businesses don't have that. And it makes it that much harder to keep a kit to start it for, in the first place and just to keep it going because you can't expense things that normal other businesses can. Right. I mean, really, the only thing you have to to, to hope for is a, a large enough margin to make up for what they're taking. Right. So exactly. Um, and, and for a long time, that's what cannabis had. Uh, but around July of 2021, the price of it in, in California, especially just kind of collapsed. Uh, you had a lot of people who were used to selling their greenhouse cannabis for maybe twelve to $1,400 a pound on the wholesale market. And then all of a sudden people were offering the five or $600. And it seemed to just kind of happen out of nowhere. Obviously the event that led to it happening out of nowhere took time to get there as far as an oversupply. But um, that was a huge blow to a ton of people in the market. And when you're trying to deal with, like we're saying, there's so many nuances. We're kind of going through the layers, the taxes, the local requirements, um, the lack of banking. When you're dealing with all that and all of a sudden on top of it, your industry has a 50% decline in what people are paying for your cannabis. 
I mean, man, the odds are stacked against you like no other. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of people went out of business when that happened, um, especially in my experience here in Monterey County, California, we had, you know, a thriving business here where a ton of operators were uh, operating and, and we've lost so many now that at one point the county reported about 2,400 job jobs that were in the cannabis industry just in Monterey County, now down to about 1,400 jobs. Um, so we're losing thousands of jobs literally because of, of what's going on. And the government is, is here locally. The government is, is they're trying to help. They seem like they want to help, but like, like we talked about earlier, they're just, sometimes it's just, they're just too slow. There's too many processes. There's too many things for them to get through, to be able to make actions quickly. Um, and when you're dealing with the industry that's going through that, you need quick action and, and it's, it's, it's just been so tough for these guys because of that price, um, so they don't have the mark. My point is, I guess they don't have the margins that they did in the right. good old days. No, and so now don't. it's getting even more nitty gritty. You have to be super efficient, super lean, really know what you're doing. Um, so we'll see what happens, especially this year. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this year as a big, a big tell of what's going to happen with the market. Especially now that uh, restrictions are relaxing as far as COVID goes. Uh, I know California's state of emergency ends uh, not this coming month, April, but next month, May. So with that ending, that ends uh, a lot of restrictions that have been on. So that'll be interesting to see what happens uh, after May comes and goes. Because like with COVID, you never know what's going to happen. They, they drop stuff and then all of a sudden they have to they have to put the restrictions back and then they relax a few. And it, that's hard, to, hard enough to keep up with. Um, with, with your team, I, I'm looking at this and... You know, I think of, like you were mentioning, the forms, the processes, all that stuff. I, I see in my head a team of Sheldon Coopers just standing in lines, filling out forms, going, oh, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I'm one of those guys. A- I, I, I get off on process. I, I, I can't lie about that. I get off on process. I love that shit. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot, a lot of that that you have to do, and that's that's essentially what people are paying you for uh, is is things they don't want to deal with, and you know, no one wants to really deal with the applications, contacting the government, having meetings with them, um, and so we we fill that role. But like I said too, it's 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 beyond that too because I I like to have more of a an intimate side to it, right? Where I'm, I'm a lot of people here. I visit their farms on a, a weekly, sometimes two or three times a week basis. Uh, and I'm there at every inspection they have with the local county. Um, so there, there is also like the actually in the field work that that makes it also enjoyable, you know, because that's that's what I think is is most unique about this position I'm in is that I actually get to kind of have little bits and pieces of what it's like to run all these different businesses without actually being the business owner, without actually taking on the the risk that they're taking. Um, and so that that's given me kind of a, a one hell of a resume. I mean, I couldn't even list all of the things you know, that I've learned over the past six, seven years doing this. So and, and it's, what it's I a like, cool thing. What I like about that is actually getting to know the businesses that you're involved with. That way, you know which forms they need to fill out. People don't yeah. understand that the forms are so similar, but all it takes is just one tiny little difference to go from form A to form B. And right that form B is going to help that business a lot more than form A ever will. So knowing that specific part of the business really is key. And I, I admire that about what you're doing. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, anybody can fill out a form, but knowing what form to fill out is, is kind of where you're coming in to work with someone like us. You know, a lot of this stuff, if someone was really diligent, they wanted to take the time, maybe they had a mindset like you just said you have, they could probably do it themselves. They could figure it out and they could do it. But it, it comes down to to timing for some people. You know, sometimes you don't have the time to to learn it all and, and get it done quickly, but you want to open up quickly. So that's where you just bring someone in that, that knows it and lives with it every day. I mean, I'm telling you, every single day I'm I'm either going to a farm because they're gonna have an inspection or I need to help somebody with the track and trace system or uh, I need to have a meeting with the cannabis program manager of the county or we're having a public hearing where the board of supervisors are discussing uh, a certain change to the ordinance or something that has to do with taxes. So like literally every day, uh, that's what I'm doing here. And that's, that's the part that's interesting. And the aspect that 
a lot of people don't see, I guess, or really understand. They just think, hey, you just you're filling out paperwork and and that's it. But there's there's a lot more that goes into it than that. At least if they want want you to do that for them, you know. Yeah, you, exactly. You, you could just do the paperwork and walk away, but more often than not, they see the value in, in a long a long relationship. Uh, yeah, I, I I can't imagine that there wouldn't be any value in that. And as someone who has figured it out for themselves several times, trust me, knowing somebody, getting somebody who knows the process and knows what you need to do ahead of time, at least in an advisory capacity, is so yeah. key. It is so key. It saves so much time and so much effort because figuring out for yourself, it's rewarding. Don't get me wrong. I love it when I figure stuff out, but it takes so much time and it takes so much away from the work that you would rather be doing, getting your right. business started, you know, the getting the hands-on nitty-gritty dirty stuff, not filling out forms, which like you said, some people have that mindset, like you and me, we've right. got that mindset. We'll fill out the form. We get off on it. We love it. Other people are just like, ah, oh, I don't want to deal with that shit. Just get me behind right. a counter, get me dealing with customers. That's all I want to do. Yeah. And that that's great. You know, they want to be there. They want to face, face the customers, but there's all that, you know, office stuff that you have to take care of too. And I see so many companies hiring a compliance specialist just to deal with compliance alone because it takes so much time. Yeah. And I mean, good, good business owners will focus on their strengths and hire on their weaknesses. You exactly. Know? So, yes. Uh, and, and even beyond that, what gets, I think, even more difficult if you are a business owner that maybe you're good at everything, you're kind of a maven. Um, it's really figuring out what what do you want to focus on? Because maybe your strengths are are pretty broad. Maybe you, you could do the compliance thing, but is that going to take too much time away from, like you said, maybe you're a better salesman, maybe you're the, the grower of the business, whatever the case may be. Um, so you definitely always want to try to bring someone on that's going to help fill those roles. And it just, it's just a matter of saving you time, plugging holes. And so, it, so for your service, you would you call yourself like a full service from start to finish um, cannabis compliance advisor? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, start to finish as far as obtaining licensing, but then also ongoing, right? Because of, yes. of operating. So uh, yes, start so to finish and, from, and operational. From the day that business contacts you until the day that business says, well, we gave it our best shot. We had a good run. Right. Time to close the doors. You're going to be there, correct? Yeah, exactly. I, I, I'm there as to the extent that they they want. You know. Right. So again, if they just want to hire you for some paperwork, that's fine. If they want to are you for something else? That's fine. But, uh, you know, more often than not, I kind of build friendships with a lot of the clients I have because we are working together on a regular basis on a lot of crazy, stressful things. You know, a lot of a lot of uncharted territory. There's there's times where you have to make very big decisions in your business and there is no perfect answer. There is no perfect path. You know, we're, we're probably taking a risk no matter what plan we choose. So, you develop a lot of friendships with people when you do that. And that's, I think that's, that's also why a lot of them keep me around. It's not even just that they know I can fill out a form. It's just having that person to bounce an idea off of having that person to have the brainstorming session with on top of, you know, the expertise that you might have is, is invaluable for a lot of people. And let's be honest, you know, every big bang theory fan knows Sheldon Cooper was a pain in the ass to have around. <laughs> yeah. But every now and then, there were there were times when it's like, oh, he came in clutch. <laughs> yeah, no, you got to have, you know, you got to have the token smart guy in the group, yep. at least the one or two of them. Right. And, you know, the thing about me, too, is is um, I I'm not just like some paper pusher in the sense that I'm not just a guy who decided to be a consultant. You know, I have been in the cannabis industry for a very long time. Um, professionally, I would say I started around 2010. I started working at a hydroponic store here in Salinas, California. I was, you know, like most people, I was I was a home grower. Um, I was going on forums on a regular basis. I had grow journals on forums where I was sharing my progress and what I was doing. I was teaching people things. I was learning things from people. So when I had a hydroponic store open up, I was super excited. Was so happy to go to the store and finally see this equipment that um, you see online, and you're like, "Wow, I can see it in person." And so eventually, I got a job there, and I worked there for about uh, three years. And then I moved on to starting a delivery service under Prop 215 here in Salinas, Monterey County. Um, did that for a couple of years. 
And I stopped doing it around 2016 because that's when Prop 64 came out. That's when all these regulations were coming into play. And Monterey County was one of those areas that didn't have any regulations really one way or the other. So I didn't want to take a risk of maybe getting caught in the gray while they're figuring out what the black and white looks like. And so I kind of shut it down. And then this opportunity came with Monterey County. So I went out there. Uh, I was a part owner in a couple of dispensaries. They eventually were sold off to someone else. Um, I was a part owner in a manufacturing and distribution business in Seaside, California. Um, eventually we sold that to somebody else. So my point is that I'm not just someone who became a consultant. I've actually been in the business. I've experienced almost every aspect of the industry. And so I think that's a that's another side that is valuable to people where I, I actually know what it's like to run these businesses. Um, and I've experienced what it's like firsthand, not just not just vicariously through clients, but also myself. So you know, that's another aspect to it. I, I really do love cannabis. I've, you know, I've been a part of it for so long. I look at myself as, as an, act, an activist, not just a consultant. Um, in 2016, 2015, I co-founded Monterey County Normal, which is an advocacy group. And that's kind of how the consulting thing started was, was we were just having meetings, talking about regulations. People had all these questions and I seemed to have a knack for reading them and understanding them. So decided to turn that into a consulting business ultimately. And just basically to condense all that, you saw a need and you filled a need, right. which, which is awesome. You know, it's the simplest way to get things done. You see a need, you fill a need, and that's what you're doing right now. And to have a, a company, an agency like yours that will be with a cannabis business, not just like you said, as a paper pusher, but get to know the business, get to understand what they're working on, what their goals are, and then be with them every step of the way so that not only do they get compliant, they stay compliant. That, right. that is absolutely key. And that is, that is rare. I think that you find in, in any sort of consulting agency, they'll, they'll get places started. They'll be like, okay, off you go, you know, like, okay, training wheels are off. We're going to let go now. They, all right. Um, no, you're, you're there like, hey, as long as you want me, I'm here. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And, I, you know, I on some level, there's some competition with attorneys. Not Now, I'm not an attorney. I don't give out legal advice, so I'm not saying that. But in the beginning, a lot of people were just hiring attorneys to do a lot of this stuff. And that's just because, you know, that's probably the first person that comes to your mind of who would know how to do this stuff. Yeah. Um, but I think what a lot of people learned was the attorneys are capable, but one, obviously, they're expensive. And two, they, they don't have that same level of um, boots on the ground as you, right? Like they're not really in the trenches like like I'm I'm talking about being. They're not going to every inspection you have. They're not showing up and helping you solve a problem in the track and trace system. So that's something that I think a lot of people learned is that you don't necessarily need attorneys for all of the stuff involved, um, at least not for every aspect. Right. Um, and so that's what I think a lot of people should, should realize too, that we're not talking about you know, paying tons of money to attorneys. We're, we're talking about very specific relationships that you build with uh, certain consultants. And don't get me wrong. I'm sure there's a ton of scumbag consultants out there and people have lost <laughs> a ton of money and been totally screwed over. Um, but I'm not one of those. And, and one of the ways I try to show that is to do things like, you know, podcasting, giving people a chance to kind of get to know you without meeting you yet. So that's, exactly. that's kind of one of the reasons I've always enjoyed podcasting. There's not, there's not much to hide. No, and th this is a great way, to, like you said, to get to meet people, know, know other people that you wouldn't ordinarily meet in the industry. And uh, what's interesting is you're talking about other consultants, and uh, you were also talking about extract companies. There was one, I want to say it was last year or two years ago, um, that was actually, it wound up, they were, it was a, it was a company that was dumping the extract waste in here in El Cajon in my backyard. So, uh, <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. I found out about, I found out about that and I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Are they dumping it? What? Like, like you mean just taking it and dumping it on the ground outside somewhere or honestly, I couldn't find enough details, uh, to okay. really get, get an answer on that. But I, it, I couldn't find the, what the exact extent was. So I'm like, oh, I don't know, but it, it I'm glad they caught it and they shut it down. But like yeah. you said, there are companies out there that will give, if any company out there tells you, oh yeah, you can cut corners or um, 
there are shortcuts. No, don't trust them, especially when it yeah. comes to legal legality and compliance. Shortcuts, don't cut corners. Seriously, you will only regret it. You're going to get your ass in trouble, and that's when you're going to need the lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I, lawyers are definitely necessary. Like you said, if you get in trouble, um, but also other things, right? Contracts, leases that you're yes. going to have. Um, sometimes you need them for certain corporate things that you're doing when you're opening one. A lot of people are surprised, though, to know that it is relatively easy to open your own you know, LLC or corporation without an attorney. Um, it is. It, you and, don't, and people don't realize that. You don't need to be an attorney to know the law. And yeah, I mean, you don't need like you don't need to be a minister to be ordained, you know, to to marry somebody. You know, I can go online and, you know, marry me dot com and get ordained. Uh, uh, uh. Hey, all right. I can do weddings now, but I don't want to do that. I don't feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> we are gathered I mean, here a- today. No, I don't. I don't see myself doing that. <laughs> I have a question for you. Uh, what sure. what do you think? How do you see cannabis in the future? Like, what what kind of trajectory do you think it's going on? And you know, we've talked about it becoming fully legalized nationally for a long time. The question's always been when. So I'm, I'm wondering, like, how far do you think we are from someone being able to roll up to a Seven Eleven and you know buy a pack of joints next to their Marlboro Lights or whatever? How far do you think that is? Or do you think that's ever going to happen? I think that will happen at some point. Um, I, I don't think that that's an unrealistic expectation. Um, I don't think that's going to happen on for the next at least decade. Because there's too much of a stigma. The stigma is there and it's still there too strongly in people's minds. And I think once we get, once cannabis is removed from the schedule one list and more studies are able to be done. There's more papers that, that, that can be published. Then I think it will calm people's minds a lot more, especially as far as politicians go. Once politicians learn that, okay, it's not the gateway drug that we were told. It's not, it's not this, it's not that it's really just, you know, what it's made out to be. It's cannabis. It's a plant. There's Lots of great cannabinoids in it that have lots of great potential uses. So, I, I think once we get it off the Schedule One list, that that that's I think I think the biggest hurdle. We get it off that Schedule One list. We get studies going. We get enough information out there to calm enough people's minds about it. That I don't think the stigma will ever fully go away, but I think it'll change enough that people will be comfortable enough with it to say, okay, it's not as bad as I thought. Then right. once we get that going, then I think we'll move further towards seeing, you know, getting the the pre-rolls at 7-Eleven right next to your Marlboros. In fact, probably easier to get the, the pre-rolls than the Marlboros because let's face it, tobacco mm-hmm. sucks. Yeah, no, of course. I know maybe comparing it to buying cigarettes wasn't the best example. No, <laughs> you know no, what it's I mean? fine. Just, just that it's it either would that be or alcohol, available. you know? Yeah. Because yeah. those are the adult industries and porn, really, that right. that are getting lumped in with cannabis. So right. porn, for lack of a better term, porn is, it's mainstream. Let's be honest, it's mainstream. It's everywhere. People watch it. People consume it. It's out there. And if you say you don't, you're probably lying. I think yeah, cannabis is the same it's, way. It's in the palm of your hand every day. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And cannabis is the same way. I mean, everybody's, I, I shouldn't say that. I, that that's a, and way too generalized. Um, I, I, I think that the vast majority of people have had a cannabis experience to some degree or another. Whether or not it was positive, I'm not even going to begin to say. Everybody's cannabis, cannabis experience is their own. It's the unique. And if you had a great experience, that's wonderful. If not, that's a bummer. You know, I really, I feel bad because for me, cannabis does wonders. It has, it helps me be a human being. It helps me deal with people. It helps me be conversational like I am now. And it helps me feel comfortable actually expressing myself after being told for decades, no one wants to fucking hear you. You know, it's overcoming trauma like that. And being able to say, okay, my opinion does matter. I don't care if it matters to anybody else. It matters to me. And 
to get people in that space where they see cannabis as something that is may not be okay for them, but they'll they're less judgmental about other people doing it. Then I think you you'll start seeing it pop up more and more. Because if you look look at Canada, look at Amsterdam, look at all the other nations that have legalized cannabis and are getting tax dollars from it. You know, there, there's yeah. there's pros and cons. And I'm not saying that the United States is like every other country in the world. We are not. We are the United States. We're different. But I think we can use countries like Canada and um, not really Amsterdam, but uh, Denmark, places like that, that have legalized cannabis on a federal level that are taking those tax dollars and using them to actually help their societies. I, I think that's something that will ease a lot of people's minds. Until that day, then, no, we're going to, like you said, we're going to have this partisan bullshit arguing, going back and forth. And let's be honest, Congress is children. They're, they're a bunch of children, and all, they're, all they want to do is be right. So yeah. w- once they finally get to that point where, where somebody says, okay, yeah, let's legalize it, then, then I think it'll be better. Other, until then, I don't think, it, I think that's going to take the better part of a decade. Yeah, I think so. I think at least um, I think that I think the issue kind of goes back to the top of the conversation, right, of how slow the government is to do anything. And when you look at how slow we were to to do things in California. And again, when I say slow, I mean, like not when we did it ourselves as citizens, because we had it pretty much figured out and it worked great. I mean, slow when the government gets involved and wants to, like, force the way it's done. Um, You know, California is not done. There's still things to figure out, even though we supposedly legalize it. Colorado is not done. There's still things. Washington, you can start yeah. naming it. So once once it even gets to the stage where Congress decides to allow it, there's going to be even more work to be done after that. So I think I, I think we could be looking at at least like another 25 years, I, and I hope not. You know what's interesting about it is that the same thing that happened in California, which was you know the, this micro level where. At, at some point, somebody just decided to go against what the federal law was. Like we said, usually you can be more restrictive, but not less restrictive. Yep. That that mentality of just saying, no, nah, that law is just bullshit and we're we're going to do our own thing is has, has spread a lot, right? And that's kind of what makes the United States a little bit beautiful as far as how things work, because now you have almost half the country, right, that has some sort of cannabis laws on the books allowing it or decriminalizing it, even though the federal government is saying it's not allowed whatsoever. It's a schedule one. And so I think what's going to happen over time is that the federal government's always going to be way too slow and it's going to kind of be grassroots the same way that California was starts in one city, starts to expand. Next thing you know, it's basically the whole state It's going to be starts in one state starts to expand. I think that's where it's going to be interesting. Like what will the federal government do when you have like 40, 45 states that are just like, yeah, whatever we allow it. And especially the next step would be, not only do we allow it, but we have import and export agreements with our neighbor, which goes even more against what you guys say is allowed, because now we're doing interstate trafficking in the in the face of the federal government. So that's going to be where I think the turning point really happens, maybe even before Congress can get their shit together. It's going to be precedent being made, and it's going to be like, oh shit, these, these guys are shipping it to each other now, and we're not getting a piece of any of that. So do we go in there and try to enforce it and try to take them all down and arrest them and war on drug style them? Or do we just let it happen? Or do we going to do something to get a piece of it? So I think that's going to be really the turning point. I don't think it's going to be the suits really figuring it out. I think the people are just going to say, fuck it, we're doing it. And over time, enough of them will do it where they, they have to make a move. Right now, statistically, two thirds of, of the American citizens are pro cannabis legalization at the federal level. That is a two-thirds majority. That is a supermajority. If you had that in the Senate, you can override a presidential veto. So oh, not wow. only does I mean looking at it just strictly by numbers, two-thirds of the country wants it. It's a supermajority. We can make it happen. The suits in Congress need to need to come to the understanding that it's in their self-interests too. Because the United States government it will only do what is in its own best interests, not ours. Right. Right. Sometimes it's ours. You know, sometimes those two match up. Not always. 
when we convince the federal government that it's in the government's best interest to decriminalize it, tax it, and use that revenue, then then it'll happen. Then I think it'll get faster. But I, I'm with you, 10 to 25 years at least, somewhere in there, when, when somebody finally gets it and says, oh, wait, we could be doing so much with this. <laughs> the light bulb goes on in Congress and they say, okay, let's do this. Then it'll happen, but no, it's, it's going to take a long think, time. How do you think the taxing is going to look? That's the other thing oh, that's Jesus. worrisome, right? Yeah. Once they finally decide to allow it, it's going to be like, we allow it, but, but we we're want gonna, a fuckload of money. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it, I, I think it's going to be taxed a lot like cigarettes, alcohol, you know, any other vice, so to speak. You know, the, the leisure tax is what they're calling it now. Um, so, yes, I think it, it will be heavily taxed. I fully expect it to be heavily taxed. Because again, that's how the government gets interested. You right. Know, that, that's how you tell the government, this is good. You're going to get money from this. Yeah. That's true. 100%. Every government, local, state, federal, they all, it's all about the dollars for them. If there's a way to make dollars, they'll work with you. If there's not, they don't really care. There are local towns out here that are considering, they were uh, NIMBYs, like you called them, not in my backyards. But now they're like, well, okay, this town is getting all this revenue from right. our citizens because exactly. they're going to that town to get their shit. If we open up in our town, they'll be, we'll get their tax dollars. So they'll be spending money in their own town. And I'll be honest, if Alcohol wants to open up a dispensary, I'm right there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there, Alcohol has a long way to go yet. I think the other thing's going to be, like you said, the, the testing of it, um, the, the research side of it. So, Maybe eventually they, they remove it from Schedule 1, and now you can start having some real research on it in, in the United States. Like like we know, there's a lot of research outside of the United States. Um, and that, that's going to add to the complexity and how long it takes too, right? Because they're going to want to take their time. They're going to want to figure out all these things. So it's it's just so fun. It's just a fun experiment to think about like what, what will happen, how long will it take, and that's the other thing I really like about podcasting is we're kind of just documenting what's happening. Yeah. And it's fun to go back, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, listen to the podcast and be like, oh, wow, we we were right about this. We were wrong about that. I never saw this coming. Well, I so mean, that's, let, let's think about 10 years ago. Let's go. Let, let's let's wind the yeah. clock back to 2013. There were OK. Yeah. People were sweating piss tests. Let's be honest. Now, 10 years later, 2023. Not a lot of people are piss testing anymore. And especially in the right. state of California, cannabis is is not a disqualifier anymore. Federally, even, even yes. For, even for some people that work for the state, they don't really yes. piss test them anymore. Exactly. Uh, or or their local city or county, it's not it's, it's not as prominent. So, yeah, that's a huge change. Yeah. That's and a huge change. Look at what's happened over the last 10 years, between 2013 and 2023. And now think about what's going to happen between 2023 and 2033. And so on. Yeah. So it's going to take time. We need to be patient. Yeah. We may not see a lot of it in our lifetimes, but uh, I do think that a lot. You know, when when I when you put it in that way, and I th I go the reverse, and I think about the past ten years, um, there definitely has been a lot of major major changes, and and I guess could you have predicted them? I don't know. It, it, I think I think the biggest changes were like how large this became, how commercialized it became. In that amount of time, you know, like in at the end of 2012, the the family that I worked for at the hydroponics store uh, were raided. They had a a large grow, um, maybe I don't know, a little bit farther north from where we were, uh, and they got raided. They had like 3,600 plants there. It was on the news, you know, it was a big deal. And back then, 3,600 plants was a ton. Yeah, like, you know, having a having a grow that big 10 years ago was was a pretty big grow. And, you know, you fast forward to today, I mean, you know, if you're a, if you're a legal operator, if you're not growing at least an acre, you're, you're, you're considered a pretty small farm. Yeah. You know, so it's like, to go, you know, and then <laughs> when you're talking about an acre, I mean, you're looking at what, 16, 20,000 plants now, if uh, not yeah, more, depending like on how that. big they are. And, so, and I think that's yeah, the sorry. interesting part. 
I agree. No, you're good. I was just saying that's the interesting part is that when I look back and I think about what was big then, what is big now, that's pretty wild. I, I think it's it's helpful to follow or to at least keep an eye on you know where the trends are going because when you see that, right. like if, when you see the way the wind is starting to change, you know people are relaxing their you know private companies are relaxing their policies. Like Amazon uh, doesn't drug test their drivers anymore. Which eh, I don't know. You know, I, I hope they're not yeah. doing math. But <laughs> how else are they going to get all those packages delivered? They have some pretty crazy quotas. Hey, if, if maybe they're doing a couple lines. You know that that's getting it there. You know, I got to get it there. Whatever we got to do to keep whatever we got to do to keep Bezos happy, man. You know, I, and hey, I want my overnight shipping. Yeah, better get here. <laughs> I ordered my socks and they're not here. This is ridiculous. Give me the give me the meth head driver. He would have got these here. Okay, I'm a screen guy. I, I use screens in my bongs and my pipes. I ordered these screens off of Amazon. <laughs> and they came here next day. You can get shit on Amazon. You can't get weed, but you can get shit. <laughs> See, that's, that's the other thing I do. That's the example I should have used, right? Fuck 7-Eleven. I should have said, hey, when, when, when yeah. are we going to be able to order weed on Amazon? How far is that? That's when, going to be. When is, when is Jeff Bezos' drone going to deliver me my weed to my front door? <laughs> you know, that's honestly probably like one of the smarter business ideas that I think some, I know people in cannabis are doing it and kind of preparing for that day. That question is like, how long is it sustainable today? Can you keep your business model working until that's a possibility? But if you can, yeah, I mean, you know, that's going to be massive to kind of basically already figure out how to be the Amazon of weed before it's really allowed. Exactly. Um, and that's going to be interesting. And one of the big companies was Ease. Uh, yes. Have you heard of them? Yes. They're probably the first like big one that was basically trying to do that. I don't hear much about them anymore. I don't even know if they're still in business, to be honest. They, they're trying. I know they're okay. still trying. Uh, they've got a, a brick and mortar dispensary now here in San Diego, uh, where oh, Apothecary okay. used to be. Um, but now it's an ease dispensary and they do still deliver. But yeah, like you said, they were huge for a while there, but now you don't really hear that much from them. Yeah. I mean, even if they're still in the game, I guess it's better than completely disappearing. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's going to be an interesting one, though. When you can go, like, dude, that's going to be so cool. You can go on there, you look at strains, you you go look at the reviews, which I know we kind of have with Weed Maps and Leafly and stuff. But I mean, like, you know, just from thousands, if not millions of Amazon orders, getting feedback from customers, that's going to be wild. Yeah, I, I can easily see Weed Maps and or Leafly transitioning into something like the Amazon of weed. Yeah, I, I want to say... I don't know if Weed Maps tried to do it before. I mean, Weed Maps tried to do a lot of things. They've, they've oh, pivoted yeah. a lot of times yeah. to try to figure out what else they can do. Um, but yeah, that's that's going to be that's going to be wild. It is. It's going to be great, and I hope I get to see that day. I don't think so, right? But, but I hope. I know. You know, I know. We're going to be. You know, you'll be the old guy talking about man. Back in my day, I had to meet a guy in an alleyway, and I already do that. <laughs> <laughs> When I was your age, we didn't have dispensaries. We had a, a bank envelope with weed in it from our guy that we would meet after work in the parking lot. <laughs> and that's and that's the interesting aspect too of when you talk about this evolution of cannabis is is the the way that the government just gets in its own way. You know, on one hand they have the war on drugs. Black market is bad. We need to do all these things. They've done, they've, you know, used to have like 10 year minimum sentences and people still did it. And so now their solution is like, okay, well, let's legalize it, but let's make it extremely complicated, extremely expensive, and all kinds of uh, crazy rules when we don't even know what we're doing. Maybe that'll solve it. And it's like, okay, <laughs> if people were breaking the rules when you had a 10 year minimum prison sentence, you think they're going to give a shit about your other stupid rules? Yeah, you're right. trying to implement, and I think that that's that's something that the government's starting to learn uh, is that you you can't you can't just take it from being completely illegal to super overregulated and think that you're going to fight this illicit market through that method. The only way to do it, in my opinion, is is economically. Yes. You know, we know the war on drugs, kick your door down, doesn't work. We're kind of experimenting now with it economically, but we're just taking so long to get there to where it really should be. And once they can get get out of their own way and just let cannabis do what it does, 
it's going to be better for everybody. It's going to be easier. The government's going to get a piece of the pie. Less people are going to be, you know, hurt by the war on drugs and having prison sentences and, and records. And, I, and it's just, it's interesting I, when you think about how the black market. I, I don't think the government market. Will, will ever totally get out of the way, but I see where you're going. And I totally agree. If they just, if the government will deregulate and decriminalize a lot of this stuff, then yeah, it could be a great thing for this country. But now, you know, they, they, there's still that stigma involved, you know, it's still a gateway drug. It's still, you know, but you start with weed, it goes to Coke and leads to heroin or whatever. And no, not necessarily. You know, it's it, like I said, everyone's experience is unique. Every person is different. You cannot generalize weed based on one person's experience. I fully believe that cannabis does something to us as individuals. It, the, our cannabinoid receptors are there for a reason and cannabis allows us to realize better versions of ourselves. You know, I don't think it's a miracle cure all, but I think that it's something that allows us to be better human beings in, in a lot of cases. Um, some people, not so much. Some people it doesn't work for. My wife, it works differently for her than it does for me. I'm sure that it works differently for you than it does for me. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as we use it responsibly and we're using it for our benefit. And even if we're using it for to have a good time, like alcohol. Like you said, just government, get out of our way. If you want to regulate it, regulate it. If you want to tax it, tax it. Just let us do shit. That's good for ourselves and good for the nation. Yeah. One of one of the on on the podcast I have, which I I haven't done in a while because I've just been so busy. But one of my guests, uh, really smart guy, been in the industry forever. Uh, you know, owns dispensaries, has a distribution business. He always made a good point of saying that it probably should fall somewhere between coffee and alcohol. It's not quite alcohol. It's not quite coffee. But as far as how we regulate it, it should probably be somewhere in the middle of those two things. I like that. that. Always, I love that. Always that. really struck with me. Yeah, I love that. I, I think that's beautiful. I, I I agree. That's perfect. Right there. Find that sweet spot. <laughs> right. Because you know, coffee obviously has an effect on people. Like you said, same thing. Coffee has a different effect on different people. But it's definitely a stimulant. It definitely changes your state of mind. It definitely changes the 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 mood that you're in a lot of times. Just like cannabis can. Um, sometimes good. Sometimes bad. Um, but then you, like you said earlier, then alcohol, I guess, because that's where the adult aspect comes in, right? Where yep. we're, you know, you do have young kids going to Starbucks and drinking coffee, but obviously no one's going to be okay with young kids going to dispensaries. So it's it's in that, right in between both of those. And I, I just think that's such a great, a great observation and a great yeah. way to put it. Something yeah. I use a lot of times with, with regulators when I'm talking to them is start thinking about it like this. This is, this is where we need to get to. You know, right now we're, we're regulating it. Yeah. We're regulating it even beyond cannabis or beyond <laughs> alcohol. We're regulating it beyond tobacco. Yeah. You know, like, are is there some crazy track and trace system for a lot of these these industries? Is no, there's not. I actually have a guy that I used to work with who said he used to work for a company that has cancer medication. Uh, they used to sell um, injections that would be used for cancer medication, and um, he said cannabis is more regulated than that was. I believe it. And I was like, that's, that's, that's where, you know, we're going a little too over the top. I mean, it's crazy. You're right. But I I do believe that. Yeah. Um, Listen, we could talk for like several more hours on this, but uh, let's, let's keep it to at least an hour here, you know, to give the listeners a chance to get on with their day. So um, before I let you go though, Joey, uh, first of all, thank you again so much for being on the show. I really do appreciate it. And, um, if anybody listening is thinking about starting a cannabis business, they want to learn more about the regulations, uh, where can they find you guys online? Yeah, so the, the easiest place to find us is the website. It's CannabisPermits.com. Uh, we're on Instagram, at CannabisPermits. Um, obviously, on Facebook as well, you just search up Cannabis Permits. You, you may or may not find it. They may have shadow banned us because the cannabis is in there. But I think Instagram and the website are, are the two easiest places feel free to email me joey at cannabis permits.com. Um, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty easy to find. I'm pretty accessible. So even, even if you aren't trying to start a business, maybe you're someone who's just passionate about cannabis. You're, you have time and you're willing to try to do some advocacy things. 
um, that's that's kind of my background. So I'd I'd love to hear from people and help them get more involved in their cities or their counties. Learn how to go to city council meetings. Learn how to go to board of supervisor meetings, and just kind of make your voice heard and and do what you can at the local level. Because I I do think that is still important. And I think not to go off on a tangent, but you know we're talking federal and state. Maybe that's a little bit bigger, harder to control. But when we are in our local communities it is easier to get face to face with your mayor than the president. So yeah. you can probably make a change there and it's, and it's worth pursuing. So even if you want to reach out for that, feel and, free to contact me. And it's a cliche, but it's true. You know, think globally, act locally, because that's where it's you true. can, you can do the most, you know, right. Work with your hometown, start small and grow from there. It, it, that's, that's the best way you can do it. Definitely. Well, again, thank you, Joey. I really appreciate you coming on and uh, I hope you have a great weekend. You too. I appreciate it. And I'll have links to everything in the show notes. So after you're done here, go check out the show notes, find what you're looking for. He's got all kinds of great info. So again, have a great weekend. Okay. That wraps up another episode of Cannabloggers Corner for this week. Once again, please uh, thank you, Joey Espinoza, for joining me in the corner. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. I had a blast uh, just chilling with you, exchanging ideas. It was a lot of fun. Please don't forget to check the show notes for links to CannabisPermits.com and all of Joey's sites and see what kind of services that he can provide for you, whether you're starting a business or you're just looking for information. You're going to find great stuff on his site. Also, thank all of you for listening. I, I could not do this without all of you. I could, but it would be boring and I'd be talking to myself. So I really appreciate you guys being out there and listening. Um, it means a lot to me. And uh, I again, thank you for being out there. As always, you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and all the other socials or, well, most of them um, at SD Cannablogger for all my uh, cannabis content and at SDCC Wacky Wags for all my San Diego Comic-Con coverage. If you like what you heard this week, or if you just want to talk about it, uh, feel free to leave me a comment, shoot me an email at sdcannablogger at gmail.com. I always love hearing from people, so please reach out. I'd love to hear from you. Until next week, I hope you guys have a great week. Stay safe, and above all, stay lifted. Thank you for listening to Cannablogger's Corner. Wait! Where are you going? I was going to make espresso. Now go away or I shall taunt you a second time. Don't let anything come between your testicles and you. (laughs) 